Some of you, maybe you haven't been here for a while, or maybe you're here for the first time, and you say, I'm going to say it every week because people have said it to me every week, why has everybody got red t-shirts on? Not everybody, but a lot of people. Well, we are in the midst of a, of a series called I Love My Church. And, I, and we're looking at, basically in the series, we're looking at this, this graphic that um, we're kind of taking this puzzle apart, this graphic of the reasons that the Bible says the church should exist, what the church should be, be doing, and we're, we're talking about each one of those every week and saying this is why we love our church, that we love our church, we looked at the very first week, that we are the bride of Christ, that the Lord looks at us and he says, I love you so much, I'm going to use a word picture to describe my love for my church. He said, I'm going to describe it as my beautiful, precious bride. And so we are the bride of Christ and we love it. And so for t- we love the church because God loves the church. So today we're going to look at another one of the reasons why we love our church. Um, we love our church and we say this statement every single week. We love our church because it's the place where God unites with us to accomplish his purposes, to accomplish those things that are eternally significant and are also blessings for each of us. Our lives are better because we partner together with God in accomplishing his purposes in our world or in our lives and in the world around us. Now that's true, isn't it? I'm hoping that idea is beginning to to sink in. That the church isn't just something that you go to. The church is what you become and we partner together in, in accomplishing God's purposes for our lives and the world. So today we're going to turn our attention to the third of God's purposes for his church, that broke out section there, the puzzle piece, that says connecting. And we're going to talk about how this is a purpose that God has for his church. Connecting, and the way we say that around here, is connecting authentically with people in God's family. That's what we're talking about when we say connecting. We're talking about connecting authentically, not just with people, but with people in God's family. See, you have connections with all kinds of people in the world, right? Most of you go to work every day, or at least you go somewhere, you volunteer, you do something. You, you have connections with all kinds of people. But you know this about those connections. A lot of those people you connect with are not believers. Now, you can still love them, and God has you in relationship with them. We'll look at that next week in relationship with them, or in two weeks, so that you can lead them to him. So you need to have those connections. But there is something different that God has for every child of God. There's a blessing he has for us as we understand this idea of connecting authentically with people in God's family. You see, friends, the church is a place to belong. That's what the church is all about. Say this with me. Say, belong. Belong. The church is a place to belong. It's supposed to be a family. Brothers and sisters in Christ gathering together, bound together by the blood of Christ. The church is to be a close-knit relational community. Now, there was a, a, a picture I saw that says it so well that I saw the other day and I, I grabbed it and I wanted you to see it. Church is not something you, you get, something you go to. It's a family you belong to. That's the picture I want you to think of when you think of connecting and you think of being part of the church. The church is not something you go to. It's, some, it's a family you belong to. See, the church isn't really the church when it's made up of a group of people who enter a building, sit in a chair, 
Look at the back of the head of the person in front of them. You get to find out, are they balding? Are their roots showing? You know? Now some of you are going to go, oh no. You know, are my roots showing? Is your hair a mess? You know, it's... The church isn't really a church when it's just made of people who sit in a chair looking at the back of the person's head in front of them, sing some songs, even though they're Jesus songs, listen to some teaching, even teaching about the Bible, and then say amen, get up, walk out the door, get in your car, go home, and then come and do it all over again next week without really interacting with anyone else. That's not God's plan for his church. What I want us to do today is I want us to look at a section of Scripture that serves biblically as a snapshot of what life in the early church was like and what life in our church should be like also. Um, and and not, not in every way can we take what happened 2,000 years ago and say that's how we have to do it today because 2,000 years ago they didn't have what we have, they don't, they don't think like we think, but there are principles we can look at, a lot of them, and say, what did they do in the early church? And what should we look like in the church today? So grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And we're going to look at a snapshot of what life in the church is to be like. You there, Acts chapter 2? Yeah? You powered up on your iPad and your I, on your iPhone and scrolled up there. I see fingers flying. You're not searching for things on Craigslist, right? Acts chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 41. It says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized. You look at they were baptized then. We're going to be baptized today. Baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Look at the snapshot of the early church. We can see what was normal for them. And I've noticed in particular one thing stands out. I'll use this word, this, this term to define it. What I see standing out in here is relational community. You know, look at the description of what they did. It says that they had fellowship that they were eating together, they were praying together, they had all things in common, they were sharing with those in need, they were going from house to house. Look at verse 46. It says they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. A lot of times when people think about church and relationship, they don't think about gladness. It says they, they were together eating meals with gladness. In other words, they liked each other. They had fun together. They lived this idea of connecting authentically with people in God's family. They lived it. Let's understand this idea of connecting authentically that they had, they lived it out, but it just wasn't some some brainstorm that they had one day and said, hey, it's the early church, let's do this. 
No, this idea of connecting authentically with people in God's family is more than just a good idea. It's the teaching of Scripture. Matter of fact, it was based upon a theological framework and it was based upon a practical reality that came from simply following after Jesus. You see, theologically, they, they understood that when they came to Jesus for forgiveness of their sins, that at that moment, they became members of God's family. The Gospel of John, in, in John 1.12, says it like this. It says, But as many as received him, it's talking about, about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even the, to those who believe in his name. See, coming to Jesus brings you into God's family as one of God's children. And that's why we as a church and they as a church could pray the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray, praying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We can pray our Father because he's our Father. We're connected together. You know, as Christians, we know that coming to Jesus brings us into God's family. And I don't know if we always think about it that way. Do you realize that we at Portview aren't just people who attend the same organization? We really are not just, it's not, it's not a metaphor. It's not just an expression. We really are brothers and sisters in Christ. A lot of times we look at our biological family and we go, yeah, my, that's my brother, that's my sister. But when we say, hey brother, hey sister, we're talking about a theological reality. We really are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a family bloodline. Because that's what makes family, right? Family, the reason your family is you're of the same bloodline. We have a family bloodline. The blood of Jesus ties us all together. So there is this theological understanding that coming to Christ makes people family. That makes sense? Right? So you really are sitting by your brothers and sisters in Christ. But also understand, those early Christians lived in a situation where this theology became inc- incredibly practical. When they decided to follow Jesus, they did gain a new family. They understood this theologically. Now I have a, a new family. But they also often lost their old biological family. And many people in the world today still do that. When somebody chooses to serve Jesus, they lose their biological family. Their biological family rejects them. Matter of fact, I would say this. There are some of you in here that when you decided to get serious about serving Jesus, some family members don't want to have a lot to do with you anymore. Is that true? You're the goofball. You're the Bible thumper. You're the outcast. And they think you're crazy and they might, not, they might not say in our culture, well, you're not even a family anymore like they could say in other cultures. They'll actually kill you, but they'll ostracize you. And so theologically, we become part of the family, but practically we understand that, that not only do we, become a, do we become a new family, but we also often lose our old family. You know, when those people chose to follow Jesus, that often meant that their families would just flat out reject them. Think about this with me. Just think about how choosing to follow after Jesus affected the Apostle Paul, who before he was called the Apostle Paul was called Saul. Think of how it affected him. Here's this incredibly accomplished, very respected, very well-connected Jewish religious leader. Scripture describes him as something called a Pharisee. 
He was part of this Jewish brotherhood that had a common theological belief. They were the Pharisees. They were leaders in, in Judaism. In other words, you could say this. He was, he was part of the in crowd as a leader of Judaism. And together, he and his brotherhood, they led the Jewish nation. They, they made decisions that affected everybody else. Matter of fact, when Christianity arose, what we find about, about Paul and his brotherhood of Pharisees is they're fighting against the early church because they're saying this is attacking Judaism and they're coming to, there's a group, they're fighting against it. So Paul then saw with his brotherhood is one who stood there and stoned that early follower of Christ Stephen to death because he followed Jesus. So he's in this in-crowd leadership, um, leading with this group of people as a, as a Jewish Pharisee leader, killing Christians. But then one day, he's walking to a town called Damascus, and he's going there to, to kill or imprison Christians. And on the way to imprison more Christians, Paul meets Jesus and becomes one of his followers. And the bloodline of Christ now follows into Paul's life and he becomes a brother of, of other Christian people. But what happened to him? So theologically, he becomes a, a brother of the Christians, but, but what happened to Paul? What did his brotherhood act like? What did his, his Pharisee brotherhood, who he's fighting you know, Christianity with together, what happened? His brotherhood, that quick, sought to kill him. He lost his family. He was rejected by Judaism. He was rejected by his close friends. In fact, his close friends, you know what they did? Because they were so tolerant. You know what they did? They made a pack that none of them would eat until they as a group would, would have killed Paul. They made a deal saying, we're going to kill this guy and none of us is even going to eat until he's dead. So Paul lost his family. He lost his friends. But what else happened to Paul? He gained a new family. Barnabas, known as the son of encouragement. See, people were afraid of Paul. He's been killing Christians, and now he says he is one, and they're like, yeah, I'm not so sure. I think you're faking it. You're faking it so you can come into our group, find out who we are, and then kill us. That's what they really thought. Understandably so. You'd probably think the same thing, wouldn't you? But I'm awful glad there's Barnabases in the crowd. Barnabas, his name means a son of encouragement. Barnabas welcomes him into the family of God and introduces him to other Christians that are leaders in the church. And he became family with Silas and, and Timothy and John Mark and all these letters that he writes, his epistles that we call the New Testament, are mostly letters he's writing to people he views as family because guess what? They are his family. And everywhere he goes, what we see in his writings is that he has family in every region that he goes to. Everywhere he went, he found family, God's family, his family. And I think one of the events in Paul's life that reveals this very clearly is his departure from the city of Ephesus. We've been, we're going to get back, by the way, get back to preaching through Ephesians. Some of you have asked me, he said, hey pastor, we took a break in Ephesians here, we got into it a little ways, took a break because of, because of a couple emphasis we're doing. Are we getting back there? We're, we're, we're going back pretty quick. Um, but, um, so here's the story of Paul, and he is, um, he's been ministering for three years as a church planter and a church, as a church pastor in Ephesians. He spent three years there, and then Acts chapter 20, 
Paul um, gave them some words of encouragement and then a warning. And then he says this. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter. Actually, I think it's going to be on a screen up there. Acts 20. Verse 36 to 38. Let me turn there. Listen to what it says, because I want, to, I, want you to, I want you to feel this scripture. I want you to feel what it's communicating. Acts 20, verse 36 to 38. It says, when he had said these things, and these were some points of warning to the church. His final words are, listen, be careful. And he's giving them a sense of warning as he leaves. But then verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the words which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again and that they were, um, and they were accompanying him to the, sh- to the ship. What I want you to not only see, I want you to feel, is the emotion of the text. That they're kneeling down on the beach, they're praying and they're crying. Why? Why? These folks were family. Any of, you ever, any of you ever send one of your kids off to college? You go to, you go to their college. You drop them off, or at least they put them in a the car if they drive from your house. You're trying to be tough, and they drive away. You're a big, tough dad. What do you do? You cry. You cry. They're going to be gone. They've been in your house forever. Maybe it's been 18, 19, 20 years they've been there and they go off. You cry. Why? Because your family is leaving. That's the scene you have here. Paul's leaving these people he's been with three years, his brothers and sisters, his folks for a family, and he cries. Their genuine love is evident from their actions. Church, understand. This is what God offers to us when we come to him. We become part of a family where love an authentic community are to thrive. This is what God wants for us here at Portview, that we would be a place where, there, where every one of us finds genuine, loving relationships with others in God's family. That we all develop some close friendships with people that we can be that kind of close with. And this is one of the ways, friends, the reason for it is that we really experience the kind of love that God has for each and every one of us. His love revealed through, though, through, towards, from other people towards us. God has designed His church to be an avenue through which we experience His real love. That's why church isn't coming and looking at the head of the person in the row in front of you. This Church is to be a place where people really experience genuine love, the kind of love that God has. This church is to be a place where people do life together, where we get to really know one another so we can really help and encourage and challenge one another. That can that can never happen in a church if we don't get to really know each other. But listen to me. There's a catch here. You know what it happens to do what it requires to do life together? It takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy to do life together. So the reality is, I can only do that kind of life with a few other people. But what do we do as the church continues to grow? We keep growing. 
We keep adding new people. There's more and more and more people. What do we do? Obviously, you can't say, well, Pastor Mark, you and your wife ought to do life with all these people. Or what about the pastoral staff? Why don't they do life with all these people? Well, here's the solution. It's a motto that we try to live by that I've mentioned to you once in a while. This is, this is my motto for, for it says, I want it to be our church motto on how we do this. Some of you remember this. Be friends with many, be close with a few, and have issues with none. Be friends with many, be close with a few, have issues with none. The be close with a few are those you do life with, a group of, of closer friends. I can be friends with everybody. I can, I can be kind and, and happy and friends with anybody, but being close, that takes time, it takes energy, it takes vulnerability, it takes letting people see who I am, really am. Listen, this Christian life is experienced best when you walk through life with a few other people who are also Christians. People that you pray together with, and you play together with. Remember I said earlier, you have friends that you play with. You have friends that you go do hobbies with, you play racquetball with, you go fishing with, you go bowling with, whatever. But a lot of them aren't Christians. The kind of real family and the kind of blessed community that God wants you to experience is when you have relationships where you have a spiritual side as well as a social side. You can do both only with other Christians. And the main way we at Portview try to accommodate this need is by making connect groups available. You know, I know some of you have rich relationships without connect groups, and if you have that, that's great. You have people you play and pray with. That's great. But for most people, we need some type of help to accomplish what we need. And that's why we have connect groups. It's a way for any of us to get connected with some others of us so we have a situation where we can pray and play. We can build authentic community within our church. You see, when we get connected in that way, something great happens to us as a church. When we build authentic relationships that are not just about coming to church and staring at the back of the head of the person in front of you and everybody being consumers and a few paid professionals doing all the work, when we get beyond that to real relationships, we go from being a structure-driven organization to a relationship-driven family. And here's what I mean. I'll give you an example. Let's say someone in the church, this church today, has a, a need in their life. Maybe it's something like their car needs repairs and, and it's maybe it's a, a single mom or a whomever. It's, a, it's an, an older gentleman, whatever it could be. It could not be any, but they have a problem. They were, their car needs to be repaired and because of something in life, a layoff or whatever, they just can't afford to fix their car. When a structure-driven church, this is what happens. Someone calls a church and they say, Hey, uh, Pastor Mark, so-and-so needs their car fixed. I heard about it. They need their car fixed. Can the church do that for them? Can the church pay for it? Well, it puts us in a dilemma. We don't really know the situation. Maybe we don't really know who so-and-so is. There's a lot of people who come and go out of church. We don't really know who they are. Matter of fact, if you're a person who, who shows up right when the church starts, maybe you show up at the, the middle of the first song and you leave as soon as it says amen, no one really gets to know who you are. You're just knowing the back of the head of somebody else. 
So maybe we don't really know who so-and-so is, or maybe we just don't know if it's wise to help so-and-so in that situation. We don't know anything about them. Because we really can't know everybody. A couple staff people can't know everybody. So guess what we have to do with that situation? Because we are people who care. That's our motto, right? We're people who care. We have to guess. We've got to guess. We've got to make a, 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 just a guess and say, well, do we help or don't we help? And, and matter of fact, we agonize over those decisions. But you know what? Let's change the story a little bit. Now let's say that so-and-so is part of a connect group. And these people are doing life together. They, they pray together and they play together. They help one another. You know, they go out of bowling on Friday night and they meet on, on some Friday nights and they, and they study a, a scripture and they pray together and they help each other. How do you raise your kids and how do you, what do you do? You know, they help each other. So now so-and-so's car breaks. And the people in their connect group are aware of it and because of the relationship, just maybe they feel a sense of love and community and they decide that they want to help that person. So they collect maybe some money, or maybe one of the people says, hey, you know what, I can, I can do that. I know how to do brakes or whatever it is, and I can do that. And so they fix that, they meet that need, they fix that car. Now, what happens? So-and-so is elated. They're so happy. You know what? They feel loved. You don't feel loved by walking in, staring at the back of the head of a person and going home. In this situation, they feel loved. And get this, maybe they feel loved for the first time in their life. Some of you say, well, I don't really need to be the connect group. Maybe you don't need to, but maybe somebody else needs to feel love from you. I wouldn't say maybe, they do. Maybe they feel love for the first time in their life and their beginning, crack is starting to happen in who they are, and they're beginning to say, just maybe this love of Jesus stuff is real. Because they're feeling love, maybe for the first time. And what happens to the other people who did it? Who met the need? The others feel so blessed because they were able to see God minister through them. This week in our Wednesday night class, we had a, uh, a situation that we, we had to uh, do an exercise. And it was based on doing uh, two hours with the Lord and four acts of kindness. And we talked about the two hours with the Lord and four acts of kindness. And you know what the resounding comment was from the people in the class about the acts of ki- kindness? How much fun it was. How much they enjoyed it. And we looked at it and said, look, the scriptures talk about it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And you know that when you help, you are the recipient. So not only is the person in the connect group who had their, their need met, they're related. Maybe they're really starting to understand this. Jesus' love is real. But the rest of the people say, you know what? I experience the joy of helping and giving. That's what happens they all experience real Christian love through community. Do you see the difference? Friends, I'd have to say this. What I'm seeing happen in the world today, especially the church world today, is this moving away from real community and moving toward just a professional show that everybody comes and watches a show and goes home. Friends, Portview is never going to be that. Not as long as I'm here. We're family. We need to be family. The difference is this. The one that's just structure-driven is just obligatory. The church structure, church staff feels pressure 
to minister in ways that they're not sure how to do it and to meet needs they don't know if they even should. And they just do it because it's obligatory. We're supposed to be people who care. How do we do this? And it just becomes all about this little group of people basically being the love engine of the church. But in community, it's love-driven. It's all about love. It's all about loving one another. We want to help each other. Well, you can't want to help each other if you're not in relationship with other people. The difference that makes the whole difference is authentic relationships. One's just a religious machine. You may pack a lot of people in, but it's just a religious machine. The other is the family of God. And what are we finding out from Jesus? The church is supposed to be family. So you want to know another reason why I love Portview Church? It's because Portview is a place where we can be connected authentically with others in God's family. And as a church, we work really hard to accomplish this, to help facilitate it. My advice is, you know what? Get connected with a few other people. Friends with many, close with a few. Issues with none. I want to end today with what is probably the most powerful thing we could do to celebrate and encourage our connectedness as a church family. I know a lot of you thought Pastor Mark forgot to serve communion. Who thought that? I knew you did. I was going to say it, but some of you thought Pastor Mark forgot to serve communion. Pastor Mark didn't forget to serve communion. We want to end our service today in a way that is the most powerful way to celebrate and encourage our connectedness because of the bloodline of of Christ and its communion. And I want to read something that a friend of mine um, wrote, and then we're going to I'm going to serve serve you communion. We're going to do communion a little different today. Or I'm actually we're going to serve you. We do this periodically. But we're going to do it today. So let me read to you what a friend of mine wrote. It's the pastor, a friend of mine. It says, to break bread together is to say that we, are identi- that we identify with God together. That we are one as Jesus and the Father are one. That we gain nourishment from the same loaf of bread we build up. We stir up, we cheer up each other. We stop the quarrels and find the solutions. We protect each, other, each other's weaknesses, allowing the power of God to overshadow our humanity. Always remembering the death of Jesus until he comes. Let us break bread and sense the awe of God. That's what it's all about. We, we break bread together is to say that we identify with God together. And so we're going to end our service today. Or, well, actually we're going to have communion and have one more thing after communion. But we're going to end our, this part of our service today by myself and some of our deacons and pastors serving you communion. And so, we're going to, what I'm going to encourage you to do, when, at the right time, is we're all going to stand up. And I know we're not used to doing this here, and our church isn't set up that well for it, but I encourage you to come down the center aisles. We will serve you, make your way around, and find your seat. Because some of us aren't used to this kind of communion also, you're used to all holding it until everybody's served together, you can partake in the elements when you're served. So we will serve you the the uh, um, elements, and then you can be served. So if Pastor Chris and our deacons would, would join me up here at this time.
stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray and then we're going to ask you to come forward and we will serve you communion. Those on this side, you can come by this side, receive the elements and go back down this aisle, this side, come down the center aisle, walk around back this aisle. Jesus, it's with hearts of gratitude that we recognize what you've done for us. Lord, today as we're looking at the purposes that you designed for the church, it's not some man-made thing. We, it wasn't, this isn't an idea of Portland. This isn't an idea of a pastor. This is your idea for what you've designed the church to be so that the church would change the world. That the church would be an agency of, of transformation of individual lives as they come into the family. And that that family together would be an agency that you would use to transfer, transform the entire world. Because your plan is to bring redemption to all the world. It's so much bigger than us. And Lord, this is my prayer today, that as we receive the elements today, the bread, which is symbolic of your body broken for us, that we take it in our hand and we ingest it. It's as real to us, as close to us, as some, it's something that we actually eat. And you want us to get this idea that that's how close you are to us. You're not separated, you're part of us. And that, God, we would get this idea that that that's also then part of us as a church. That we're a family. We really are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, Lord, the cup, symbolic of, of your shed blood, that just symbolizes the fact that you have come and you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins, the healing of our bodies, and that, Father we look to you and we say that blood draws us together as a family. So Lord, I would pray this, that in a very real spiritual way, you would elevate the idea of community today, connecting in this church family. That we would go another step of maturing and understanding that we're just not people who elect to go to a church. That you hand select us, you put us in a body so that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ, bringing completeness to the whole body, different giftings and abilities, bringing completeness, so that your body, this church, Portview, would serve to be an agency by which lives would be transformed and you would be glorified. So may that happen in our hearts today as we receive communion.